Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, another day to serve you. Uh, you've given us rest, and uh, now we find ourselves joining together as those that share a, a like precious faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us, who lived a perfect sinless life as the uh, sinless Son of God, as well as the Son of Man. Uh, and we're thankful for that sacrifice because it is only through Jesus, uh, the, the only name under heaven given among men by which we can even be saved. Um, because he shed his blood, he gave his life so that we could live and have life, have forgiveness, uh, that we could be reconciled to you through repentance and faith and trust uh, in his finished work on Calvary. Uh, and so, fathers, we've gathered here this morning, and as we take a look at uh, the uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians and uh, be being filled uh, with your spirit, uh, that you would help us to see the importance of this uh, and this command uh, to, to be filled uh, so that it may uh, guide us uh, in the days to come. Uh, and, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. And even though the screen says Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not what I'm preaching on this morning. So you can look at the back of your bulletin, because as far as I know, unless I made a mistake in putting the content there, that should be uh, our outline for this morning. Um, so the sermon title is Be Being Filled with the Spirit. That's not a misprint. Um, I didn't just get creative with the language there. But as we take a look at this word in Greek of being filled, uh, it can be translated be being filled because it is a continuous action verb. Uh, and so as we take a look at this, we see that Paul uh, first starts out by uh, showing us something that is characteristic of someone's life being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, you don't have to go very far to see the effects of what alcohol can do when it is consumed to the point of drunkenness. Um, if you go to the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, you will find very quickly that those statistics are staggering. Um, it says 140,557 Americans die from the effects of alcohol in an average year. One in 10 Americans over the age of 12, and that's not a misprint, over the age of 12 have alcohol use disorder. Alcohol abuse, alcoholism, and alcohol use disorder, or AUD, kill over 3 million people each year, accounting for up to 6% of global deaths. When we take a look at what the Bible has to say, and as we look at even our, our, our text today in the context here in Ephesians chapter 5, as we consider walking wisely and walking uh, you know, according to the calling to which we've been called, um, we find out very quickly that the Bible condemns drunkenness uh, because it is a sinful deed. It is a deed of the flesh. Uh, and people that drink alcohol to excess 
um, are using it for some sort of escape, something to you know, escape reality, uh, as it were. Um, but what we find very quickly is going into a drunken stupor uh, to escape things actually opens up that individual uh, to committing more sins and actually affecting everyone else around them. Because it is not something that is a sin that is unto itself. Uh, because just like all sin, uh, it is selfishness. And the scriptures speak very uh, profoundly, and this is a, a very small cross-section of what the scriptures say in relation to condemning drunkenness. Uh, in the wisdom literature of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And when we think in context of Ephesians chapter 5 and what we just talked about a few weeks ago in, really, in relation to walk, not as those that are unwise, but as those who are wise. So if we allow something in our lives that is a controlling substance or a controlling factor where the Holy Spirit of God cannot fill us, then we are going to be those that are considered not wise scripturally. And when we took a look at that, we realized, too, that God says all the knowledge of man is foolishness to him. And man trying to escape in you know, alcohol uh, as a, a way to cope with things is not wise because it is a detriment to their own bodies, but can be a detriment to those around them. Proverbs 23, 20 and 21 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Because that substance, when taken to an excess, ends up keeping them from doing things that are beneficial or productive in their life, because it is controlling them to the point of them not seeing reality, for them not to engage the world in which they live, but instead continue to consume to their own detriment, uh, so that they end up slumbering or become lazy and clo their clothing is that of rags because they're not being productive. They're not making a living so that they can uh, be productive within society. In Isaiah chapter 5, among a list of woes that the prophet lists there, verse 22, it says, Woe to those who are hearers of drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. And so when we think about the topic of drunkenness, or as it says here, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Again, anything that we have that comes into our life that actually controls us in such a way that it takes us from keeping our focus on God or thinking that our ability to do something to excess is a thing that should be praised is something the scriptures say is not wise. You know, it made me uh, remember the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know, and of course pirates are known for drinking rum, and the question in many of those is why is the rum always gone? Um, and Elizabeth, who was raised, you know, in a, pro uh, a proper home, um, spoke to the question that was asked of her, why is the rum gone? She says, well, rum is a vile drink that turns even the most respectable men into complete scoundrels. So that's what happens when we take something to an excess. And in relation to alcohol here, even the most respectable person, someone that, you know, when they are not 
controlled by a substance can become a scoundrel or you know, be like someone who uh, is uh, debauchery in relation to their actions. Uh, drunkenness clouds the mind, disrupts one's judgment, and affects one's behavior to reflect what is dark, evil, and foolish in this world. Everything as we see in the comparison here in verse 18 that we have been freed from. Because it says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So I'd like to take a few moments, because as we think about being filled with the Spirit, you know, it's important for us to see that this is a distinction here in our text that is an actual command to us. But I want you to see as we've gone over and we've looked at the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, a couple years back as we were at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, um, that the Spirit has a great work in our salvation and in relation to living out the life that he has called us to live. Uh, and so what we find out very quickly as we take a look at the scriptures is that in John 3, 6, it says, flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So it's an impossibility for us in the flesh to do something that is spiritual in nature. We need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do those things of the Spirit or those things that are spiritual. And that takes us back to, you know, what we know in relation to the Spirit's work. And the first thing that we find is that the Spirit is in, uh, as part of his work in salvation, is that of regenerating. Uh, regeneration in Scripture is spiritual rebirth. You can remember the account uh, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He says, you know, you need to be born again. Uh, he tells him that twice. Uh, and the, the thing is, is what is the Spirit rebirthing us from? He's rebirthing us from spiritual death. Because as we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are made alive in Christ Jesus. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 4, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what the Spirit affords us as those that were dead in our trespasses and sins is he rebirths us spiritually. And not for the purpose of us living however we want after we put our faith and trust in Christ, but to rebirth us to spiritual life. Because what defined us before was spiritual death. We were controlled by sin and actively acted upon it. Matter of fact, the scriptures say that we are enslaved to sin. And that's what the Spirit does in washing us with regeneration or rebirth is to give us the ability to obey God, his commands, his law, but also to, as we'll find you know, shortly, to obey the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit also, besides regeneration, indwells every believer. 
Uh, this is where the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in true believers. Uh, again, this is not something we're not commanded to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is something that the Spirit himself does. He regenerates, he produces spiritual rebirth, that you are born again, and then he permanently resides in a genuine believer. That's something that, as a believer, as a son or daughter of God, everything you do every day, every thought you think, every word you speak, every action you take, you bring God into that. So if you are controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit, say by anger or bitterness or a substance like alcohol to the point of drunkenness or taking drugs, some sort of escape and you're being controlled by those things, then you're not going to be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't change the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because we will find in a few moments that the Spirit is there as a permanent resident, as a seal and a guarantee. Listen to what it says in John 14, verses 15 and following. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, the reason why the world can't see it, the reason why people that don't know Jesus cannot see the Spirit is because the Spirit is spiritual, okay? And we are spiritually dead apart from the Spirit regenerating us, rebirthing us, and indwelling us, becoming a permanent resident in every true believer. And when we're indwelt by the Spirit and we are filled by the Spirit, the Spirit is not going to lead us in a direction away from God. He is going to lead us in a direction toward God. Whereas everything else that the world has to offer, anything else that even as believers we uh, allow to come in and control ourselves, like anger or, or hate or bitterness um, or envy or lust or whatever you want to put in there, those things control us and take us away from having our focus on God and being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit that is going to actually guide us in all truth, continuing to eradicate sin in our lives and replacing it with uh, good judgment, good actions, and things that are characteristic of the Spirit, which He Himself is God, and so therefore characteristic of God Himself. So He regenerates, bringing spiritual rebirth uh, he takes up permanent residence in every true believer by indwelling them. I think we got the PowerPoint. Here we go. And third, um, he baptizes them. This is the, the action by which once we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are immediately indwelt and we are immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit. And this baptism is the Holy Spirit placing that new believer into the body of Christ because you've been translated out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so therefore your desires and who you are associating with, who you are part with, whose kingdom you are a part of is now God's. And therefore the spirit is the one who baptizes you, immerses you, unites you with the body of Christ. You can see it as he's the one who does the introduction by baptizing you into the body of Christ. 
Again, we are not commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is something that the Holy Spirit himself does. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We were all baptized. It is a completed action, something that the Spirit does when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Instantaneously, we have been made part of the body of Christ. We've been translated out because he has rebirthed us and indwells us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. Fourth, he seals us which is something we looked at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, not too long ago. And that seal indicates God's ownership over every son and daughter that his precious son's blood bought and paid for. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you agree with what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, that you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. How do you glorify God in your body? By being filled with the Spirit. By realizing that what should be controlling you, what should be leading you, what should be guiding you in all truth, what should be your guardian against every lie that comes into your life is the Spirit of truth. And that seal is so important to God that he wants to make sure that everyone that the Father has given to the Son that he would lose none. That at the day of redemption, There isn't going to be a roll call and someone's going to be missing because every name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be there because God uh, will guarantee that through the same Spirit. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 1.22. God, who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is assurance of salvation in its purest form. God guarantees, God is not going to lose any of those whom his son purchased with his blood. When we take communion here just in a little while as part of our service, we are remembering Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You know, the the elements represent his body and blood. For us to not forget the high price of what it cost us to actually experience salvation to be saved from everything else that this world in its sinfulness seeks to control in the lives of everyone else. See, we've been birthed out of that. And therefore, the call of Paul here in Ephesians 5.18 to not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, is not a far stretch. Matter of fact, this should be a result of the Spirit filling each and every believer to realize that something else controlling you other than the God who loves you through his son, Jesus Christ, and indwells you with the Holy Spirit who rebirthed you, who baptizes you into the body of Christ and seals you and guarantees that sealing, guarantees that salvation. Because remember, who saves? Do we save ourselves? No, we do not. God saves. Because if we could save ourselves, we don't need a savior. It makes it pointless. But the truth is, is that, you know, as I said earlier, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. That is Jesus Christ. 
There is power in that name. There is power in that blood because it is the Son of God who became the Son of Man who is now at the right hand of the throne of God even now. And that's who we should be living for. We should not be seeking to have something else influence us that is not God. Because I can guarantee you, whatever the other influence other than God is, is not for your betterment. It is going to take you to places you should not go. Maybe cause you to be in situations that will compromise you or someone else around you. Because the thing is, is whatever controls you, whatever you are filled with, is either going to be go in one of two directions. There's no gray area in this. There's no dabbling or sticking your toe in. Either you're filled with the Spirit or you're not. You can't lose the Spirit because, again, He's a seal. He's a guarantee until the day of redemption. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we will find that that work of the Spirit actually sanctifying us is realized that much more. Because sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is that work by which he delivers us from the power or the enslavement to sin. It's where the Spirit makes us more Christ-like. Eventually ending in our final glorification when we have no longer, you know, these frail, finite, painful, sin-ridden bodies but are given a body fit for eternity. And when we have that translation from this world to the next and receive that glorified body, that's when God will finally remove sin forever. Because sin will not be in his presence. His son was victorious over death and sin because he shed his blood. And so when we have that translation from this world which we're called to be filled with the Spirit until which time we find ourselves at that point. That's what should be guiding us. That's what should be leading us. And the Spirit is there for the purpose of helping us attain that goal of obeying that command to be filled by Him. The sanctifying work is where the Spirit is seen as our guide, our teacher, our enabler, which are some of the titles given to him. John 16, 13 to 14 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So when you are filled with the Spirit, again, he is not going to guide you off track. He's not going to tempt you to go over here to see whether or not you're going to be strong enough to, to you know, either stand up against that temptation or weak and give into it. See, the Spirit guides you in the truth, not the lies, doesn't, you know, misdirect, isn't confusing when it comes to communicating that truth because he is truth itself. He will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Because there's not a separate truth. You know, there's not a discussion within the Godhead between the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father saying, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. You know, that's the foolishness of man thinking that truth is something that's malleable and you make what the truth is. 
Truth is truth. Everything else is your opinion. And the thing is, is the Spirit is only going to guide you in what is truth. This is not the Spirit's opinion on things. It's the absolute truth. Because he, you know, the Godhead is the one who created you in his image. And so, therefore, he is going to guide you in what he is, which is the truth. See, filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit, as it says there in that command in verse 18, to but be filled with the Holy Spirit is giving oneself over to the Spirit's control. Notice, it's a command. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means you need to be working at it. That means that there's an opportunity for you to obey and be filled or to disobey and not be filled with the Spirit, but be filled with something else. Anger, malice, anxiety, fear, you name it. It doesn't have to be drunk with wine. That's the example he gives here because it's, it's an aspect of something that controls. But so many things that are part of this world and the things that, you know, um, Satan tempts us with are things that still can control. Think about how powerful fear is when left unchecked. See, that's why we need to be spirit-filled believers. Dr. George Sweeting um, said that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. And it is a continuous action verb. It could be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. We must be filled daily, constantly, moment by moment. Yesterday's blessings are not sufficient for today or tomorrow. That's why you've got to constantly be being filled. You need to be praying to God every morning when you wake up or when you wake up in the middle of the night full of fear and anxiety because of what may happen or what is going to happen in that day. And what you need to be saying is, God, you know, may your spirit fill me. Don't allow this, these other things that you know, are temporal to fill me, but let me be filled with that which is eternal, which will always guide me in the truth. And the thing is, it's, it's, it's constant. Don't look at what you were blessed with yesterday and think that's going to be enough to help you, you know, slide through to the rest of the end of the week. It's active, constantly active, because again, it is a spiritual battle for you either to be filled with everything else in this world or to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit helps a believer to walk wisely, like we learned in Ephesians chapter 5. It frees a believer to fully display the fruit of the Spirit. See, when we're filled, we're going to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. All those things speak against everything else that this world could fill you with. As it were, the Spirit actually centers you and has your focus in the one who will never disappoint, the one who will never be unfaithful, the one who will always be there, whether you see him or not. When you're at that moment to make that crucial decision, should I do this or not? Or when you start justifying, well, the cost is worth it. See, the Spirit isn't going to put you on that dividing edge that way. He's going to be the helper, the teacher, the enabler, the guide. 
And what Paul did here is we, we take a look at the remainder of our text this morning is, is he gave us three things that being filled with the Spirit will cause in a believer. The first one is in verse 19. Let me go ahead and just read verses 19 through 21 again. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first thing that Paul identifies here following verse 18 is that when we are spirit-filled, we will joyfully delight in the Lord. Because again, the Spirit isn't going to misdirect. He isn't going to fill us with hopelessness. He's not going to fill us with sadness. He is actually going to fill us in such a way that we joyfully delight in the Lord. That's why it says they're addressing one another. So on a horizontal level, the Spirit will give us the ability to address one another in things that glorify God. And it gives it a, a, quite a variety here. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So all of those things, whether you look at the hymnal of the Old Testament, which is the book of Psalms, or you think about you know, all the hymns that, that praise God that have been written over centuries of church history, or you think about spiritual songs that you, know, you, you recollect in relation to who God is, all of those things will inform how you engage all your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you're remembering who God is, and you're having God have his good effect not only in your life internally, but also affecting everyone else around you externally. See, worship flows from within, impacting everything without. Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Okay, well, what is the good person out of the good treasure of his heart? Well, what is the good treasure that we have as believers? The Holy Spirit, God himself, there to fill us, to control us, to guide us, to be our enabler, our teacher, and our guide. So the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks so as the Spirit fills you, as He fills your heart, your mind, your soul, every aspect of who you are, it's going to burst forth in joyful song. Now, that doesn't mean we're all of a sudden, instead of me just talking to you, that I'm going to start singing sermons to you, because that's not going to happen. <laughs> thank you. Someone said thank you. See, they know me well. But the thing is, is that God puts a new song in our heart. Because we're rejoicing at the fact that we know what that amazing grace is. We know that it is a sweet sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That I need to crown him with many crowns. That, you know, our God is a great and mighty fortress. You know, everything that we can look at in the Psalms, as we look at the hymns that were, were penned by those that have come before us, even the songs that are being penned today, when they're based in the very Word of God, which is His revelation to us, it will fill our hearts with praise so that we will be a blessing to everyone on a horizontal level. But also, it says, singing and making melody to the Lord. 
So when we are filled with the Spirit, not only are we a blessing on a horizontal level, but we are also a blessing on a vertical level because we are singing and making melody to the Lord with all of our heart. So I can sing and make melody internally and not offend any of you. I'm letting it sink in there for a moment. But notice it says, with all your heart. See, the thing is, is that the Spirit isn't going to say, well, you know what, that section of, you know, Pastor Bill's heart is so hard that I'm not going to penetrate into that. See, when the Spirit fills us, the Spirit fills us. When we obey that command to be being filled by the Spirit, saying, I surrender all because I know, God, you know everything. You've already lived all of my tomorrows. I can trust you with every little detail. Doesn't matter how much value I assess it, it's important to you. If he takes care of the sparrow, how much more? Will he take care of you? Second, not only are we filled, um, when we're filled with the Spirit, we joyfully delight in the Lord, verse 19, verse 20. When we're Spirit-filled, we are thankful for everything. Do you ever notice how easy it is to grumble and complain? I know I'm not alone in this. But it's so easy. Why is it so easy to grumble and complain? Why is it so hard to see the good and the blessing that God has given to us? First and foremost in salvation. Just, just start there. Let alone all of the other blessings. But yet, when I'm filled with myself, then I grumble and complain. But when I'm filled with the Spirit... He isn't going to fill me with grumbling and complaining or questioning. You know, why me? We're thankful for everything. It says verse 20, giving thanks always. So there's not going to be a time in which you're not going to give thanks because the Spirit is going to fill you in such a way that it doesn't matter what is happening to you. You can be like Stephen who is being stoned. And where was his focus? was heavenward. Forgive them. There wasn't a, you know, a, a verbal declaration by Stephen, why me, O Lord? You know, why couldn't it have been somebody else? Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 speak to this very pointedly. It says, do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, nothing is going to change in relation to the twisted and perverse generation in which we live apart from God intervening through his spirit and saving them by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what are we called to do in relation to that? Well, we do bear the good news as ambassadors, but it says here that we are to do all things, 
So all things without exception, not just the things that we want to, but everything without grumbling and questioning or complaining. That's a, it's a tall task in the flesh. John 3, 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, capital S, gives birth to the Spirit. So if the Spirit, capital S, is filling me, then guess what? The grumbling and complaining isn't going to have any room. It's not even going to be there because the Spirit is going to push that out with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. He's going to give me the faith to be able to trust God no matter what. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. So that I may be blameless, innocent, a child of God without blemish, so that I am a testimony to that twisted and crooked generation. It says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to Jesus, holding fast to the Holy Spirit, holding fast to God the Father. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So the thing is, there's a point to the Christian life that we are called to obedience to be being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. So that we are different than the rest of the world. That we're not being controlled by other things that are just like the rest of the world being controlled by. Because we've been rebirthed, we've been regenerated, we are indwelt, we've been baptized, we've been sealed, we are being sanctified. And third, when we are spirit-filled, we will willfully and humbly submit. I guess we're already there. As believers in Jesus Christ, we talked about we're part of the body of Christ. We are part of something bigger than just ourselves. The world lives for each individual itself. Me, myself, and I. What changes when we are spirit-filled is that we are willing to lay aside everything that we would say would be an advantage or a dividing factor and say, no, what I have in common with you, each one of you that is my brother and sister in Christ, is Jesus Christ. And we all have the privilege of obeying the command to be filled with the Spirit. And what will happen is, is that we will willfully, not begrudgingly, willfully submit to one another, realizing that Christ is the head of his church. This church, Ellington Baptist Church, this local church, is Christ's church. Philippians chapter 2, that same chapter actually speaks to this as well in verses 3 to 8. It says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What does the world tell you? Live for yourself. Seize the day. It's all about you. Don't matter who you step on, who you climb over, who you hurt, who you leave in your, your, your rubble behind you. Go and get it for yourself. Scripture says in humility, as believers, as sons and daughters of God, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is the mind that we have 
because we have a renewed mind, because we've been regenerated, we actually have the mind of Christ. Well, what was Christ's attitude? Who, in verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking uh, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why we celebrate communion and that humility that our Savior had and still has is something that you and I also will have when we are filled with the Spirit. We will think of others above ourselves. We won't think about only our own interests. We'll think about the interests of others because we now have a mind that has been renewed. Romans speaks about that as well, a mind that has been transformed. See, we need to see that we are part of the body of believers where Christ is the head. We are the bride of Christ, not the brides of Christ. There's one bride. There's one bridegroom. So we are part of a body of believers that have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into that body. So we will willfully and humbly submit to one another under the authority of God Almighty, Christ himself. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, we've been looking at this call to walk, to walk in obedience, humility, separation, love, light, and wisdom in the book of Ephesians. You know how you do that? Well, it says that the flesh gives birth to flesh. So if I try and do it in my own strength, my own power, then what am I going to produce? Well, I'm not going to walk in obedience, humility, separation, love, light, or wisdom. This is the key, is where the Holy Spirit comes into play in us being obedient to be being filled by the Holy Spirit because he is essential to walking in obedience, humility, separation, love, light, and wisdom. So God, in his great wisdom, realized that we could not operate in the spiritual realm all by ourselves. And so what did he do? He gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit and commands us to be filled by him. And when we're filled by him, he will push everything else out that is a controlling factor so that we're solely controlled by him, which will, he will never mislead us. He will always guide us in the truth. He will always help us and enable us to live our lives to the glory of God. Listen to what D.L. Moody said. He says, I fir believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. Even though he is still indwells you, even though he's still the seal until the day of redemption, the one who is the guarantee of what Christ shed his blood for and purchased, we need to obey the command to be filled with him instead of being filled with the things of this world. It's imperative because unless we are spirit-filled, we're not going to be able to do the things that God is commanding us to do, to walk the way that we should walk in light of who we've been called by, to live in light of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. 
I close with Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. See, the thing is, when we're filled with the Spirit, we are full of hope. We are full of joy. We have peace that passes all understanding. A peace that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So stop disobeying. Stop allowing yourself to be filled with anything but the Holy Spirit. That should be your everyday goal. As George Sweeting said, daily, constantly, moment by moment. Be being filled.